Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast, helping to improve the understanding and treatment of pain across the world through education, advice from experts in the field, personal stories from those living well with pain, and more. A modern approach to pain treatment, management, and education, while helping to bring the patient voice back to healthcare. This is the Modern Pain Podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Mark Cardula. So looking back on my career, I've been thinking about, you know, what are the things that kind of stunted my growth and maybe prevented me from growing as quickly as I needed to? And I bet what we're going to talk about today is something that's stunting your growth as well. So let's get you in the position where you don't fall into the same trap I did. That one thing is chasing techniques, chasing the newest, shiniest tool in our toolbox and this thought of having this full toolbox of, of things that we can throw at a patient that's going to fix somebody and, and those tools, there's a never ending supply. You can look at continuing education courses across the, the country, across the world, and there's always some new treatment or technique that is the proposed way that's going to be the key to unlocking your potential as a physical therapist or even any other healthcare professional, especially in the rehab setting. Um, and not, again, I'm not here to say that all of those are bad. I just don't think they're very special. And I think the research has bore that out. We look at the R2 study where we're going to look at some of the statistics of, of treatment response. And this was a low back pain study. It was a mixture of, of studies where they looked at chronic low back pain, acute low back pain and various. But it basically took about 118, I believe, trials and looked at how do treatments respond. And there was a variety of treatments and there was many different kinds, pharmacological, non-pharmacological and, and various others. And we looked at, well, what is the treatment response tra trajectory for these different interventions? Maybe there was one that showed a significantly better uh, improvement. And they all had a very similar, if you look at the curves of the study and the responses, they're very similar. And I would argue that to degree, I think there's things that make a treatment matter. And it's more for the patient, not the therapist. I mean, the therapist, a treatment matters if you believe in it. There's a thing that we call equipoise, where you go into a... Um, clinical equipoise where you go into treatments where you have no uh, thoughts that there's a superior intervention versus another. Now that doesn't exist. We all have our beliefs and our biases that we think this intervention is going to be better than the other. And we all kind of operate under a situation where we don't carry equipoise. And I, that probably benefits us as a physical therapist. Chad Cook put a study out that looked at clinicians that had beliefs uh, on mobilization or manipulation had better results with mobilization or manipulation, depending on which one they thought was more helpful. So it didn't have as much to do with the intervention per se, but it had much to do with their belief in the intervention because you're going to portray it more confidently. You're going to be more excited about it. You're going to explain it with more passion. You're going to really be able to to get a patient to where you're going to have better capacity to unlock these nonspecific effects that often drive intervention. So I think that's a difficult pill for a lot of therapists to swallow is this thought that, man, it's not about my fancy technique or my shiny tool or my needle or my scrape or my tape or my pop or my click or my mob. Maybe it's more about the context I create, this contextual effects and the nonspecific effects, placebo mechanisms, which exist in any intervention whatsoever. Um, and it doesn't necessarily, again, mean that those are bad interventions. It just means let's get over getting excited about interventions. Let's get excited about helping people, not just shiny tools and new interventions and different things like that. It's nothing wrong with pursuing skill. And I'm not saying that you need to be just throw anything and don't have any skill with how you interact with people. We'll have videos coming forward that of what is a skill behind an intervention. There's definitely some kinesthetic skills and some psychomotor skills, but I think that has gotten so overemphasized 
in our profession to the point we got people focusing on being way hyper technical when we need to be a person centered physical therapist, a person focused a physical therapist where we can learn to tailor our treatments to unique people and not vice versa, where we, we do this intervention with anybody who's got a pulse and pain. Hopefully we're not doing that, but there is a degree where in my career where this is what I do for everybody who comes with low back pain. And it's not to say we don't have our treatment habits and, and kind of consistent ways we like to address things. Hopefully they're based on evidence-based guidelines and clinical practice guidelines. But even those, there's some discussions on how those are really formed through biased modes of, of uh, interpreting data, uh, which we won't get into today. But so the big thing I would recommend if you want to not stunt your growth as a physical therapist or as a rehab clinician with somebody in pain is not get enamored and stuck in this latest and greatest treatment technique. It's not to say you shouldn't go on weekend courses and learn them, but don't get so tribal with them to the fact you lose sight that it's a much bigger picture of what drives a treatment intervention. And sure, there are probably more popular interventions now than I I argue the more popular intervention is within our culture, within our society and within our professional culture, but also our culture outside our clinic. You know, I think dry needling, I'm not against it. I don't think it's all that special. Personally, I haven't seen any data to show it's, it's immaculately greater than any other intervention. It's the latest thing, but it also carries a lot of new novelty. It's it's a new, exciting intervention with our pr- profession. People think it's cool. Therapists think it's cool because we're piercing skin and doing things that are a little bit maybe more invasive. So I don't dry needle, and it's not that I'm against it. I just don't see the need based on the data that I've looked at so far that it's something that has to be added to the treatment uh, repertoire that I work in the clinic with. And again, if you use it, nothing wrong with it. Just get over it. Just like I try to get over my mobilization, my manipulation and my MDT type treatments and different things, because that's not the centerpiece of what we're doing. Our centerpiece is like using those things as like the supporting cast member of the true star of the show, which is your patient, which getting them off of treatment tables. People don't get back to life laying on plinths, getting needles stuck in them or mobbed or manipped. Again, they can be part of the journey, but it shouldn't be the the star of the show or that's what you're really hanging your hat on as a physical therapist. Because you're going to run into people who don't respond to that, who don't fit your bias as a physical therapist. Another one I think that is worth mentioning is this, you know, the, I, you know, I like CrossFit. I like deadlifting. I like pulling stuff off the floor. I do think there is a huge hole and an improvement we can do, especially as physical therapists, in being better at strength and conditioning principles and being better at not plinthesizing patients where we got to doing boring, low load, non-life replicating loads in the clinic and getting them doing things, lifting stuff off the floor, pressing things overhead, doing things that are more, you know, strength and conditioning focused that represent valued goals for their life. But again, I also think some folks go so far to where that's, they got everybody deadlift and there might be some people that does not meet them where they're at, nor where they want to go. And you might have to temper that enthusiasm. So maybe it isn't all about us and our interventions. And maybe we need to step back and say, Hey, maybe I do have these biases. We own the biases of our treatments and what we want to do with people. And we recognize that maybe for that person, that may not fit them. Maybe I have to have some other strategies that that will help that person. So I would argue you have enough techniques under your belt when you leave physical therapy school. Granted, there are some you can learn and are, are worth learning. I'm not saying that you shouldn't develop more technical skills, but I would argue that if you focus on learning how to be a good person-centered therapist, a good communicator, a good ability to to communicate with a human being in front of you who's in distress and pain and really finding a way to uniquely understand what are the things that they exactly bring to the table? How do I tailor my treatments to unique people versus focusing on more tools where you're trying to tailor people to you versus 
vice versa, where you should be tailoring yourself to patients. I would say we'd be so much farther ahead. I know I for certain would be more further ahead in my growth as a physical therapy if that was my focus versus trying to get my latest letters after my name and my latest certification. I think um, nothing, again, per- terribly wrong with that, but I think get over it, move on, focus it on, focus on people, not techniques. So looking back, what would I do differently? Well, I would probably still take a lot of the continuing education courses and, and learning techniques, whether I would have gotten so excited of being certified in some things, maybe or maybe not. I think I would have valued mentorship a lot more early in my career and maybe like learn techniques, but also how do I learn to function well in a clinic and become a great clinician? And, and weekend courses, I don't think are the answer to do that. I, they can definitely be helpful, but to be a very good clinician who's an expert critical thinker, <clears throat> clinical reasoner, you need to have mentorship. I That's been the key to me. And I think whether that comes in the form of a residency or fellowship or you just seek the ability to like reach out to folks and say, hey, I you know I really would like to learn from you. Would you, would you mind if we kind of worked out a mentorship agreement? I think there's a lot of that going on. David Poulter, our guest from last week on our podcast, talked about how he does mentorship. Um, I've done mentorship in the past, and I think it's the best way to really learn how to clinically think and reason to where you can really learn how to expertly apply your skill set and your unique skill set to your unique population. And, and in fact, the unique person that you're going to face day after day, because each patient's different. They're They're unique. They have different thoughts, beliefs, behaviors, all the above going into your interaction. You have to be able to like pull that out and be able to tailor yourself to them. And I think mentorship and clinical reasoning and teaching how to think and move and be flexible in the clinic is something that is is invaluable. So highly recommend that. Other things I think I would look at doing is motivational interviewing and narrative-based medicine or reasoning approaches to where you're looking at how do I communicate better with humans to better understand them, to validate what they're going through, and to help them move to behavior change if that's what our goal is, um, or to just be heard, listened, understood, and develop a very strong therapeutic alliance that really helps you with these nonspecific contextual effects that often drive a lot of our outcomes. So hopefully this was helpful for you this week. Uh, would love to hear your feedback on it. And if you liked the format of what we did this week, um, leave some comments in the thread below or reach out to me via social media. Hope you're all doing well. Uh, Talk to you next time. This has been another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast with Dr. Mark Karchula. Join us next time as we continue our journey to help change the story around pain. For more information on the show, visit modernpaincare.com. Also, visit the Pain Masterminds Network on Facebook for free education and resources. This podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. Please consult a licensed professional for your specific medical needs. Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast.